Welcome to our latest episode of the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast for all things around digital assets. Today, we continue a kind of private conversation. Simon and me had a couple of days uh, ago on valuation of stock markets and what the impact of this is on any investment in cryptocurrencies or digital assets. But before we start the discussion and before we go uh, into detail, a very well, warm welcome to you, Simon. I uh, hope you're fine. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here as always. Um, I'm doing great. The markets are as interesting as ever and looking forward to a continuation of our talk. Hey, cool. Okay. So maybe we'll uh, bring our listeners more or less up to speed on where our private conversation uh, stopped. It, it, it was in the end about the current price earning ratios in stock markets globally and in the US specifically. So what we see at the moment is PE ratios far above 20, um, forward looking above 20 and even backward looking at S&Ps at uh, 28 times PE currently. So these are PE ratios which we have last seen in bigger bubble uh, periods and they might indicate that the market is highly overvalued. There are certain arguments obviously which can justify a high PE ratio But nevertheless, um, if we also look at, at certain participants in the market, Tesla PE ratio of 1,000, uh, Snowflake with an excellent IPO, but this excellent IPO already means for a company which makes like or made like uh, over, let's say, 348 million losses last year and have a revenue of 267 uh, million US dollars. With the current market valuation as of today, they are 265 times their revenue. So all this is definitely, we would say, um, associated, put it like this, with a question mark. So question mark here also means if I'm an investor and obviously I cannot put my money into, let's say, negative yielding bonds or other fixed assets, where do I put my money? And is crypto digital assets, is it the right space to put money? If we ask us this question, we easily come to the center of our, of our former talk, which is about valuation of crypto assets, where maybe if we look at the cryptocurrency space, Bitcoin might be one animal, and then we have Ethereum, a couple of very new Or tokens, especially in the DeFi space, which might be other uh, animals. But just from a, let's say, high-level perspective, Simon, what would you take as a method out of, of a couple to value, let's first start with Bitcoin? What do you think is a good metric to judge whether there is an intrinsic value, whatever it is, for, for Bitcoin? I think you've gone over a lot of topics here uh, really fast. So first, maybe uh, let's let's look a bit at current valuations in the public equity markets and uh, then go over to uh, valuations for crypto assets. Because uh, as you mentioned, we are currently at like, I think, 35.5 um, 
times earnings uh, in the S&P 500, where most of this is driven by a very few select companies, uh, the Apple, Facebook, uh, Tesla, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Amazon, that are really valued at uh, incredible multiples. I think there are still huge differences, of course, in how justified those are uh, between an Amazon and uh, uh, Tesla, of course, where, um, yeah, 1,035, I think it was, uh, price-earnings ratio is just um, complete insanity. Like, there's no proper justification besides what you said. Uh, people need return on investment. There's uh, retirement funds, there's big institutionals. They require, and family offices, they require a certain return. And if they cannot get a positive return or one above 2 or 3%, they might very well stop um, working. They might very well stop being able to pay out those retirement payments, for example. And of course, that's, uh, that's impossible, uh, especially in the US. Um, it's not a thing that can be accepted. So that's why we see this current uh, immense printing of new money to, to keep this entire system afloat. And what it drives is incredible valuations that will never be met. Um, we see prices go up because there's no way for no, no other way for the money to go. It's the weakest point in a dam to a certain extent where the flood of money can be taken as a literal flood of water that is always going to escape uh, a lake through the weakest point. And the weakest point here is um, the tech companies, the big tech companies that are already making up, uh, I think, 40, 41% of the uh, entire Standard & Poor's 500. And therefore, even if the Fed and uh, similar large institutions buy just index funds, they are uh, inadvertently driving up prices of these tech companies. What I believe is that rather sooner than later, as right now we're at uh, price earnings uh, ratios similar to the stock bubble of 19, the 1920s that, of course, led to uh, the Great Depression, starting with the um, big New York stock market crash in 1929, 1930, 31. We are already there. Uh, of course, we are not yet at uh, valuations similar to the dot-com bubble where we were at uh, above 40x. But, of course, you can see we're getting there. And if we say, even say these bubbles can go on further and uh, multiples can go higher, with each consecutive bubble, then maybe we go up to 50, maybe we go up to 60 um, before something happens. But I do absolutely believe that we will see a shift of smart capital beginning to hatch, which of course we're already seeing. We see companies that replace their entire uh, cash holdings with Bitcoin. We see uh, Berkshire Hathaway that takes a huge stake in uh, Barrick Gold in order to hedge against uh, public markets. And from this angle, I think it makes sense to look at crypto assets where everything makes a lot more sense if you realize how uh, public equity is currently far, far away from fundamentals, at least for most. Of course, it's not for every country, every market, um, not even every industry the case. But if we just take the general stock market, which is best represented with the S&P 500, then uh, multiples are completely out of whack. This is not something you can invest in with clear conscience without being fully aware that um, this is all driven by central bank activity and strong concentration of capital in a few stocks that will never live up to that. They will never report earnings that 
satisfy owners at certain levels, it's speculation. It's uh, massively detached, which is fine um, because this is currently the only way you can properly make a lot of money in the stock market. But I do believe that we are about to see a strong correction, um, be it in the next half year, be it in the next year, or maybe even two years, but I don't think it will be much further out. Valuations are rising and they are already insane. Uh, which, yeah, uh, Snowflake, of course, as you mentioned, uh, is, is a perfect example of that. The company that is not special in any way, that has strong competitors in a very, very competitive space uh, where others are more embedded already, where others have higher revenue, being valued at about a third of Oracle. Where Oracle was about to report like 70 times the earnings. So you could just buy Oracle if you wanted a proper cloud computing business. Uh, there's no reason to buy Snowflake at those valuations uh, where it IPO'd. So if we get into valuation of uh, alternative assets, uh, like let's say Bitcoin, Ethereum, digital assets in general that are like um, not representations of physical assets, but digital assets on their own, then we see valuations that are much more reasonable. Bitcoin at around 10,000 US dollars. Uh, Kraken just released a great um, report um, arguing from different angles on um, how this is undervalued. And um, of course, not insanely, they're not saying Bitcoin to a million within the next two years. But what they're mentioning is different viewpoints, points of view, for example, the cost of replacing a Bitcoin, which there's off, uh, obviously demand for Bitcoin. Uh, people are requesting it. Prices are going up. Um, a properly diversified portfolio that only contains maybe one, two, three, or five percent in Bitcoin is um, like really outperforming uh, any other portfolio by, over the last 10 years by a huge margin, over the last five years by a very large and noticeable margin, and even over the past uh, one or two years, always outperforming. Um, for example, I think if I remember in 2012, a, a traditional portfolio with like 60 percent uh, SP 500. Uh, indexed investment and 40% 7 to 10 years US treasury bonds. And if it just had 5% allocation Bitcoin, it would obviously return like 11,000% based on a portfolio that had no Bitcoin at all. Um, okay, now you can say 2012, way too early. No one knew anything. Now let's go to maybe 2016 where things started to heat up. Then uh, we see a return at a normal portfolio at about 42.5%, which of course is crazy most crazy time the last couple of years and the same portfolio is just five percent in bitcoin returning more than 150 percent year following 32 percent to 75 2018 where the huge crash occurred um you would think it performed a lot worse but in reality it was 18.4 percent for the traditional allocation and 16 percent for the bitcoin allocation and the next uh, following year 2019 already a traditional portfolio 24 percent uh, and uh, the one with Bitcoin, 31%, so 7% more already. There's so many reasons to get into uh, alternative assets in general uh, in the current uh, macroeconomic climate. And crypto assets like Bitcoin, especially with their rise in, in use in the financial space, be it really decentralized finance or be it just traditional finance as a, another asset to diversify into, um, simply this use case of being used as an investment alone more than justifies current prices and actually justifies uh, prices at a way higher level. 
I think that's very interesting. I mean, uh, you know, you provide a very broad span from the uh, general stock markets towards Bitcoin. Maybe let's add some points here. I mean, the general question about Bitcoin is, does it have any value? I mean, it's it's not something uh, people would say where you produce a profit with Bitcoin, except for uh, that you have upsides in how the, the token is traded, which I personally think is wrong, but this is one of the typical arguments, which I think stems from the fact that if you would do a proper valuation on the on the stock market, you would apply the classical whatever, dividend discount models, discounted cash flow models, uh, ETC, which are built on future profit expectations, right? I mean, we cannot apply this logic uh, one by one to an asset uh, like Bitcoin. Uh, that's obvious. But I think you mentioned directly or indirectly already, uh, obviously there's activity on the Bitcoin network. So tokens are mined. And the miners get obviously compensated for mining these tokens. So if we talk about lower boundaries of the intrinsic value an asset like Bitcoin could have, one obviously uh, could be like a net cost modeling approach where we look at the, the mining costs, right? These vary uh, to a certain extent. But for example, the 10,000 US dollars you mentioned uh, is depending on the calculation you take, only slightly up um, the cost of, of mining Bitcoin. So there is a kind of uh, substantial intrinsic value beyond the classical logic of uh, uh, discounted cash flow uh, models. And uh, obviously, we also know, depending on the investment thesis, I mean, which each stock you have an in investment thesis, why are the tech stocks so highly valued? Because it's not the, let's say, backward-looking uh, price-earning ratios people have in mind, but uh, rather the venture capital approach looking 10 years ahead. What can these companies in the future produce and from this certain um, let's say call it and a kind of exit value is derived and this obviously drives prices up next to the other points you mentioned already if we follow this logic and look at bitcoin then um, obviously we can also uh, apply other methods um, methodologies for evaluating uh, bitcoin like the stock to flow model which comes more or less from the commodity market where normally gold silver Assets are evaluated according to stock-to-flow models where you look at the stock of a commodity uh, divided by the production. And, and if you do such calculations for Bitcoin, if you look at the 18 million in the circulation now, uh, you can reach values up to, to 55k US dollars. So I think these are uh, other, I would say, reference point. Maybe the mining cost is kind of lower bound and there's a comparison either stock to flow with gold um, or other even more bullish comparisons where you say, okay, uh, the overall market of, of assets, be it financial assets, be it cash, be it precious metals, ETC, is around 300 trillion uh, US dollars. If Bitcoin would take whatever 1.5% or 1.5% uh, as an alternative asset allocated uh, to it, obviously we can easily um, derive values 150k ETC for Bitcoin. I think that is not a forecast here from, uh, from our end, but it showed the range on the one hand side. And it shows that although a DCF model, discounted cash flow model, or the classical metrics 
from stock market would not uh, apply one to one. There is definitely a justification for an uh, for an intrinsic value, and uh, the more money is printed, the more potential future inflation is expected. The higher the value, obviously, of of these kind of store of value or partially safe haven assets assets get. Uh, that's on Bitcoin, um, but Bitcoin, I think, is still, and, and you most probably will agree with me, is is still one animal in the whole zoo of cryptocurrencies. Uh, Ethereum highly correlated with Bitcoin on the one hand side, but um, still having a different value proposition, which uh, based on the smart contract and the utility it provides. But let's take maybe a more um, a different side of the pole and look at new DeFi tokens. Our last podcast was about DeFi and, and I think we both strongly think that this is a new financial system which is created there with uh, not only mirroring the existing financial system but with a lot of groundbreaking innovation in terms of financial products uh, which are created in the DeFi market. But, but obviously anything like store of value ETC is hard to apply for judging a, a DeFi token. And now may I ask you as a DeFi token investor, uh, you made a couple of wise decisions on your on your DeFi portfolio. What is the underlying methodology which you applied for selecting, let's say, new, brand new or, or newer uh, DeFi coins? So again, uh, you covered a lot of topics. Uh, maybe also let me just jump back real quick to give a better understanding of how I come to my methodology to uh, evaluate and pick and choose. So I firmly believe that for the past maybe three to four years, we've seen, as you mentioned, this, uh, this venture mindset, this common knowledge game idea of it doesn't matter what something is valued at compared to what it produces, not even really what's the value it will produce over the next um, period of years. What matters is if I believe that others believe that they can sell it to someone who's dumber than them or that will get in later because that means um, that I can sell it to them because they believe they later on can sell it to someone else again, always at a higher price. And it's this uh, trust, it's this understanding that drives up valuations and that drives up prices. Uh, in the past 12, 12 months, Tesla went up like 800%. Now, normally you would think, as a startup becomes more of a traditional company, as with the last uh, disappointing battery day from Tesla, um, it becomes more and more clear this is a car manufacturer and this is not a tech company. The costs of each additional product is not going to zero. Those are cars. Those cost money. Um, they need to build the machines that build the machines. They need to build a network of, um, of uh, supporting uh, companies that just uh, make their machines, make their tools, make their parts. As that becomes more and more clear, the valuation should go down normally. The understanding that um, Tesla at 1,000 times price earnings, ah, uh, yeah, Tesla will, I don't know, Tesla will, every single car on this planet will be a Tesla and then probably some. Um, no one can honestly believe this. And I don't think a single retail investor that maybe put their um, welfare check for the corona crisis at 1,200 USD in Tesla, I don't think anyone honestly believes that. What I think everyone believes is that there will always be more people who put more money into Tesla, for example. The big car companies, the German ones also, uh, they're coming out with electric vehicles fast and hard. That's not getting better. Uh, Tesla is getting worse by the day. Um, but the value is getting propped up more and more by this. Um, every single retail investor 
has the mindset of um, startups run the world, startups rule the world. I don't think most people are aware of why fundamentals fundamentals are a thing and that this is not the first time. Like this disconnect between uh, value added to society, value added for customers with the uh, valuation of the company, this happens hundreds of, hundreds of times. This probably happens like every five to 10 years, um, even if it's not such a big bubble as it currently is or as the dot-com bubble was. But I believe many people think this is a first. We see these big tech companies and they're doing cool stuff and Elon Musk is the savior of the world. I don't believe it's a first. Like we see the tulip bubble, we see the dot-com bubble. I think it was similar. But what I believe is that many uh, investors haven't seen that before. Now, also, we need to come to the topic of uh, narrative and driven narrative and who, of course, profits from that. Like we see Goldman Sachs, who's uh, one of the underwriters in Tesla, who's made like 100 million over the past year with trading in Tesla, who owns a lot of shares, who has long and short positions, who has a vested interest in the stock going up. If we look at, and now I think there's the bridge over to digital assets, if you look at what they've said about Bitcoin and about uh, crypto assets over the past uh, five, six years, you can clearly see how they said one thing and did the exact opposite because it made them money. So a lot of these arguments that have been made against the value and against intrinsic value in crypto has, of course, come from people who had a very significant interest in this being the case. Um, like, of course, at first you want to keep it out, but as more and more it became clear and obvious that this is going to stay, this stuff is going to go up in value, they always made their own entry points. Uh, like when they had an investor's call, and they basically uh, reiterated that Bitcoin is like worthless, has no intrinsic value. It's uh, no one should no one should buy it, no one should get into it. And like the same day, they bought about fifty million in Bitcoin. It's like the months following the clear communication. No investor, this is our investors call. Like we advise you, we are the expert. Believe in us, trust us. Um, do not buy this. And then they buy such large amounts of Bitcoin it really clearly drives home how the narrative is steered by people who have very, very uh, large conflicts of interest. So I think this is something you need to be aware of in order to get into crypto markets, in order to um, lose a bit of the fear of um, markets that have no intrinsic value, quote unquote, because first you need to ask, what does value mean? Um, my most used definition is um, the common knowledge game. I believe other people believe that other people believe that it has value. Therefore, there will always be someone else to sell it to. And then the question is, will it go up or will it go down? Will the belief um, get weaker or will it spread even more? If it spreads and if there's even more people who believe that everyone else believes it has value, um, for a finite good like Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, prices will go up because uh, demand uh, grows without supply growing in the same way. And that's the general fundamental markets thesis. Okay. This is uh, kind of substantiating Bitcoin, Ethereum, also from the scarcity uh, perspective. But if we move to DeFi, and I mean, obviously, there are tens or hundreds of tokens. So the question is, how do you select between these tokens? And I mean, the common knowledge game, again, very much uh, justifies Bitcoin. It's kind of trust. I mean, do you trust US dollars? Do you trust Euro? Do you trust Bitcoin? Obviously, it's a matter of trust that, that somebody in the end will take the coins. But with very newly issued coins, um, super high volatility, much higher than even Bitcoin. By the way, Bitcoin's volatility decreased over time, so it becomes already kind of mature uh, crypto asset. But let's really move to the other side of the pole, which is the young, new 
a DeFi token? I mean, there are a couple around uh, out there. You would say hmm, some are worth an investment. I mean, the investment is always associated with risk, more or less a bit in a VC space here. Uh, but you make a selection. If you do the selection, common knowledge game, I think, can be one aspect. But I doubt that this is the primarily aspect. Or uh, am I wrong here? For you personally, obviously. For me personally, it is the primary driver. Of course, it's um, it's only a general understanding of how uh, narratives spread and work. And it's not something you can clearly act on. This is not an investment strategy on its own. It's just a kind of understanding of how you see the world, how you see, how you see people. Um, for me, especially in DeFi now that I've built a portfolio over the past uh, two months that's been outperforming the broader DeFi market, of course, the index DeFi market, also crypto market, and with that, obviously, every other market. Um, for me, this is at the bottom. But I do look into every single project I invest in. I look into it deeply. Uh, it's not that I just buy what I believe is is currently being hyped or what's going up or I'm not trend following, but I'm also not heavily looking into the more traditional approaches of evaluating assets where I know many uh, investment managers that um, really do traditional econ analysis, traditional quantitative analysis uh, that let's, of course, everything is different. That's why we need to look at them uh, Individually, let's look at Uniswap, for example, where you could go over um, total value locked up, where you could go uh, through the maybe the dividend they pay out since they actually paid out like 400 million US dollars in dividend already. Uh, you can call it dividend, you can call it something else, but they paid it out to every user. And you can go over that, you can go over the fees, how much is it worth based on the fees and generates. You can put a, a multiple on that, looking forward, period of time you choose. Um, all of that flows into a decision on a basic level for me, but it is, yeah, it is mostly about the common knowledge game. So the way I actually pick and why I got into all of this early and why I also got into well, the ICO bubble before it was a bubble when valuations were pretty reasonable. And when I got into Ethereum and everything, um, was because there's a strong story around it. There's a strong core of, uh, capable people driving something. That's what I look for. I look for, of course, a core team that's actually developing code, that's actually doing business development, that's um, actively communicating to the outside world. Um, then I look for business case. Like, is there a need for this? Is there use for this? Like we're currently liquidity mining. Um, how much of a use will there be? What's the uh, target audience? Who will use this? How much money do they have? How big is the pool for that then again? Will it grow? What's the growth story? I look at all of these things and I have my own system, of course. So all of that flows into it. But then again, my own investment strategy right now uh, is to go for very early projects, um, projects before they receive the very first major pump. Maybe if I think the first major pump is still reasonable, we'll go on further. But I'm looking for many projects and I invest in many then and i spread my investment um through many that i believe have everything that i mentioned before um at the core and then when they start gaining traction then i um, allocate some more assets i mean that's how i got into synthetics yearn that's how i got into curve and this is and yeah polka dot and ocean and all the likes because i 
invest based on based on all these points i think so what you use in the end is a kind of qualitative scorecard method this is what I mean, it's, it's an excellent combination of what you do normally in the venture capital space. So pre-revenue, even sometimes pre-product uh, startups you have to evaluate. And obviously the whole DeFi ecosystem, the token economy, business model, ETC. I think that's the right way, uh, obviously, to... Um, to, to make assessments and also this like two-step strategy, you allocate some money, then you see into the most promising projects according to your scorecard or qualitative evaluation. And then uh, based on the performance and what happens and validating your assumptions, you put more money into it. I think what you essentially do is here for DeFi, a specific application of our uh, DLT 360 assessment framework, which we developed during the, the ICO times to really find out which project is a scam and which project has substance. And then that time we put our brains together, you know, uh, the two of us and a couple of other guys from Untitled Inc., uh, which have this background from, from VC, from the cryptocurrency space and also from the M&A uh, IPO space. And, and this gave us these tools with over 200 criteria to to assess um, uh, certain projects. I mean, you mentioned product technology, how good it is in the in the DeFi space, what's on the roadmap, what the business model, you mentioned the dividends payout, so there's a clear incentive for the users and buyers. But you also have to look at transparency and governance. We had the sushi swap uh, issue a couple of uh, days ago, so that definitely makes clear that you need to really see where uh, potentially tokens are allocated to whom and, and what these guys can do with it, how are the tokens designed, ETC, and also uh, token security might be an issue here. Uh, Qcoin recent hack shows that, that this is important next to anything with regards to, to regulation. If we see the new European regulation on digital assets in general and crypto and stable coins, they, they put a kind of tight hand on stable coins, especially the bigger ones, which they call significant stable coins like Riba, where, uh, Libra. So where uh, regulatory, legal and tax, uh, especially regulatory stuff comes into play. So in the end, it's a very smart scorecard which is, I think, the right methodology for very early projects to make a selection. We didn't discuss this earlier, but I mean, if we are not talking about securities, but talking really about utility tokens, uh, cost of mining obviously was one uh, method uh, for evaluate, uh, valuing assets. There's another one which was popular, especially during the ICO times with a couple of people developing models around the quantity theory of money. So we, we had this famous equation, uh, money supply times velocity uh, equals price level times transaction um, volume. I mean, again, I recall 2016, 2017, all kind of models were, um, uh, were built around this. Do you have an opinion on these models? Yeah, the same that I had 2016. Uh, they were like <laughs> academic. They were short-circuited nonsense. It's like, yeah, you can make any model you want if it fails to properly describe the actual value over a long period of time and has no clear connection. Like you can 
say that uh, there's causality, but it doesn't really correlate because of other factors um, for many uh, theories, okay? But here there's no causality, and this uh, this neither this doesn't explain the value of any digital asset uh, properly over a longer period of time, and also it doesn't have any connection. Uh, like if, if you you could make the opposite case and say make the formula of uh, negative velocity as in how many people are hodling, and uh, you probably describe it just as well. And I, I said that in 2016. I'm saying it now. I feel that many people that published this stuff wanted to publish something as quick as possible and went the easy route of uh, doing something where they could cross-reference many other papers. It would be like a scientific, quote-unquote, uh, work. And in the end, they published something that's completely worthless and that no one would ever use, but um, they would maybe get some attention from whatever publication there is because they were desperately looking for any way to explain the value of um, digital assets. But of course, like no money manager or asset manager worth their money would ever use something like that because it didn't make any sense and still doesn't. I agree. I mean, I did some modeling with a couple of guys myself and these models are so dramatically parameter sensitive and there's uh, so much, I would say, probability calculation in the whole thing that easily you can inflate a token price by 10x just by uh, changing two parameters in still a kind of reasonable reasonable range. So I agree with you. This is, comes obviously from the macroeconomic theory. And uh, I think for other uh, assets or currencies, it has some justification, but it didn't prove to be uh, super useful in the ICO space. This is one of the main issues. Uh, for like many arguments I'm having with uh, very smart people who are uh, like very well renowned and very well respected in their respective fields, but many of them are traditional economists. They had like a traditional economic education and they published and they've worked in this field and they know all this modeling and uh, they're bringing it all to a new market where it doesn't apply inherently. Like they're trying to explain something where there might be correlation but no causality with something with anything basically where they can find correlation so it's i think it's a big trap to follow uh, these models one-to-one -one. and it's also a kind of mind trap a mindset trap to even say okay it doesn't apply one-to-one -one, but look we can tweak it a bit we can like uh, change these models a bit we can change some parameters and look then it's not that bad it's it's kind of it kind of works but the entire point is that these models um, explain something completely different. Um, we see a market, yes, with supply and demand, yes. But for goods that are neither stocks nor are they commodities, they're not representing a company. They're not representing uh, any uh, tangible good inherently. Of course, you can do that later on, but that's a different thing. Um, they are their own thing. And I think that's very hard for many people to understand that of course, there might be parallels, but that doesn't make two things identical, like a bird and uh, like a chicken and uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Of course, they have parallels. They're both both uh, sauropods, but you wouldn't um, use the same model to um, work with a parrot that you would with a T-Rex if you could clone it. And it's similar here, where Ethereum has its own use cases, its own business case, its own uh, promise of value. Um, there's reasons why people use it, why people buy it, why people trade it. And there's reasons like that for almost every crypto asset. And like most of them are different. Um, also, the idea of seeing the crypto market as the crypto market is inherently misleading. 
I think it's a big moat for people that um, are able to see each asset as on its own and um, completely dive deep and understand it. And it's uh, value offered to society and to customers and to users. It builds a big moat for those guys over those that say, hey, this is like a market. I can index it. It's fine. Like we see it in DeFi, where DeFi Pulse launched this DeFi Pulse index, for example. And it's is, of course, outperformed by every handpicked um very properly handpicked uh, portfolio um, built out of DeFi products because it's so easy to launch a new protocol, to um, start something new. I mean, on DeFi Pulse itself, you see number 42 has a total value locked up of uh, $13,000. It's like I can literally uh, do this myself and instantly be in the top, um, what's reasonable, maybe top 38 um, with my own protocol that I only put my own money into. And all of a sudden, you would be in the index. And this doesn't work. Maybe it will work in 10 or 20 years when a lot has been filtered out and there's more regulation. It's very hard to start your own DeFi protocol and to start your own decentralized finance service. But right now it isn't. And that's why it's important that we see things how they are and not how we wish they were or how we know something else already is. So we kind of want to use the same thing because we are a bit lazy and we know that we can show off signs of authority if we claim that we're supported by this big arcane construct of valuation methods that maybe work in other markets and say, hey, we're smart because we know all the arcane language and rituals, but it doesn't offer value. And at the end of the day, business is about value. It's about money. It's about creating more from less. And most of these models don't. Um, only those, uh, that's what I believe, and I haven't been proven otherwise. If any of our listeners has any idea of something that might actually um, work properly, uh, please contact me uh, and I'm more than happy to instantly talk about it. Um, but most of these have been proven to not add value. And that's what it's about. Value besides maybe gaining attention from some newspapers. I think we'll now come kind to an end and let me wrap up our discussion. So we've talked now about a, a huge range of valuation methods ones which we think are appropriate, others which we think are less appropriate. In a summary, I would say if we look at the, especially the, the, the Bitcoin piece, we have some lower bounds here, the cost of mining. We have upper bounds if we compare Bitcoin to other store values like gold or if we apply scarcity models or trust-based models. You definitely mentioned the common knowledge or uh, a positive, long-term positive sentiment, call it methodology to evaluate or assign uh, a value uh, to Bitcoin. These are all things we believe in as, as being appropriate and justifying a significant intrinsic value for Bitcoin, Ethereum, which you rightly mentioned with a different business case, but both of the assets are obviously scarce because they are not producing infinite units. So, all this shows as intrinsic value. We're not too much fond of, let's say, a quantity theory of money or of these models, which are just taken from the traditional world. But we are, especially for younger tokens, very much fond of applying smart scorecard models with qualitative criteria. You elaborated in detail on your criteria. Um, I added a little bit to give a holistic picture of what we do, do with our DLT 360 framework. So overall, no one can tell the exact value of any token, 
But I think both of us believe there is value in it. It can be justified. And uh, looking into the future, especially if you're looking to the future of DeFi, you most probably see things which we haven't seen in traditional financial services market yet. So there is a bright future ahead. And Simon, I would thank you very much um, again for joining. And I hope all our GISN listeners enjoyed this talk. And stay tuned. And uh, we are very happy uh, to have you here listening to our next podcast show. Mm -hmm.